Show me the science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Hello, Luke O'Neill here uh, for my weekly Show Me the Science podcast. This week, the science of plastic. Scientists have discovered marine animals living on plastic rubbish in an area of the Pacific Ocean. A remote paradise that's become a rubbish dump. Its beaches are now more densely polluted with plastic than anywhere. And what may look like sand and rocks under my feet is actually single-use, mostly single-use plastic. Now you're scratching your heads already. Why is he going to tell us all about plastic? Well, it's a very, very important topic. As you sit listening to me, I bet you're sitting on something made of plastic or maybe there's something on the table in front of you. Uh, maybe your headphones or whatever it might be. I'm certainly sitting in a studio full of plastic here. Uh, it's a really important material for humans, of course, but it's problematic, isn't it? And we all know this now, don't we? Plastic is a hugely problematic material. If we could replace plastic on Earth, that would be wonderful for all kinds of reasons, for environmental reasons, for the carbon footprint problem that we're always worrying about and climate change and all the rest. So it's a really important topic and it's very hard to replace it because plastic is actually, as, as the name suggests as it explain, a very flexible substance. You can make all kinds of things from plastic. It's a very important part of our lives in so many ways. Uh, some have said over time over the last say 10 20 years this should be called the plastic age we've had the iron age haven't we the bronze age plastic defines us in many ways uh, and it's everywhere as i would explain and as you would all know i imagine but the news is they've made a new type of plastic that is fully biodegradable and this could begin to replace all the plastic that we have in a safe way. And it uses a lot less energy to make, and that's great, because plastic, actually, to make plastic is very demanding on energy. And, of course, that's a huge issue, isn't it, if we're, if we're using energy to make plastic in that way with our carbon footprint anyway. Uh, this type, a lot less energy is needed. And it's totally renewable. It can be recycled very easily. Now, as you know, there is some plastic recycling. It still needs a bit of energy. It's still not fully effective. It helps, of course, and you should always recycle your plastic. But imagine if that was enhanced and improved in, in, in various ways. That would be very, very useful. Now, the traditional plastics are made from petrochemicals. Uh, obviously, carbon is extracted for those, and then we're sticking stuff into plastic that can't be broken down. And that's a key issue there, as you, as you would all know as well. And the very first plastic, let's go back to the history of it, uh, was in 1907. A guy called uh, Bakelite uh, invented a plastic. Called, his name was Leo Bakelite, I think I pronounce it. And he called it Bakelite. He was so egocentric, he named it after himself. And that is the first type of plastic that we see. He exhibits it at all the shows. And this becomes the first plastic. And now the plastic revolution then begins. He, oh, Leo, gets the credit for coining the term plastic, by the way, which is from um, the Greek, capable of being shaped or moulded. That's what the word plastic obviously means. And Leo, clearly, he was a very bit of a classical scholar there. He could figure it out. Uh, polyethylene is the key component for all plastics, and that's been the way for years. And then when I looked at the history slightly, I did come across an earlier um, a material scientist, we'd call them now, actually. His name is Alexander Parks. 1855. He probably made the first kind of plastic-like material from cellulose. Uh, so maybe he deserves the credit, but he never made much of it, really. It was Leo Bakelite who really allows the plastic revolution to begin. Now, I noticed as well with Alexander Parks, uh, he was in Birmingham in England. There's a plaque 
on the house uh, where he was where he lived. That plaque is not made of plastic. I was oh. devastated. I thought they would have made the plaque out of plastic just for the sake of recognising Alexander Park's contribution to the history of plastic, but it's not. Uh, but still, Alexander Parks, maybe he gets the credit. And uh, again, um, as ever with these things, you, you've got battles as to who discovered things first. Uh, and there's all this jockeying for position in, main, in various ways. Uh, but, but anyway, let's mention Parks because he is part of the history. Now, once plastic is made, as I said, it then takes off as a big material all over the world we see lots of plastic being made uh, and it's really really as I say challenging uh, now the new stuff uh, the, the new plastic that, that's, being, that's being made it's being made by Chinese scientists actually and it's very interesting because people are really excited about this it's using 97% um, less carbon emissions to make it so that's great first of all to make the stuff you aren't emitting carbon really really importantly uh, and as I say it's, it's much more biodegradable now the surprising thing and what got my attention, really, guess what it's made of? Get ready. There could be a drum roll here, Owen, if you're ready. DNA. Now, can you imagine they're making plastic from DNA? Now, as you know, DNA is the fundamental building block of life. It's what genes are made of. When, you, uh, when a cell divides, you copy the DNA. It's the basis for heredity. And all genetics is built on DNA. And now... Here we see DNA being used to make plastic. Now, obviously, the scientists figured, oh, DNA is a very flexible molecule. It's not difficult to make DNA, actually. You can extract it very easily from things, you know, from living organisms. And then you can use that as your building block. And that's what they did. And they mixed up the DNA with oil prepared, a, a type of vegetable oil, actually. A particular type of vegetable oil was used. And then they made this substance. Now, strangely, they got the DNA from salmon. Now, I scratched my head on that one myself. Why would you take DNA from salmon? Salmon are a great source of DNA, it turns out. And any, any, any living system will have DNA in it. But we often use salmon to extract DNA, to study DNA in various ways. And I guess they use salmon as an easy source of DNA. And they mixed it up with this vegetable oil and they made the plastic. And the type of plastic they made is called a hydrogel. And hydrogels are very important materials in all kinds of applications. They freeze-dried it, which is, a, which is a particular process, and then they could mould it into any shape. And the material they ended up with had the properties of plastic. And I'll give you that again. DNA from salmon, mixed up with some vegetables. It's like your dinner, isn't it? Your lunch, mixed up with vegetable oil, and they made, they freeze-dried it, and then they had this material from very unprepossessing beginnings that could be moulded. They made a cup out of it for a start, which is incredible. Uh, now, they need to improve on it. This stuff isn't ideal. It's a little bit water-soluble, which is hardly ideal, let's face it. Uh, but they're beginning now with this material uh, to make, I guess, and often science works that way. You start with something, and then you make it better. So this could be the starting point. Now, of course, you could extract the DNA from bacteria, from plants, wherever it might be. Who knows? Farmers may be growing plants to make this new material, which could replace all of plastic. Can you believe it? And then because it's got DNA in it, and it's quite an organic molecule, if you will. It can get broken down very easily over time. Now, it will last a while, for as long as you need to use it. No, no point making a plastic bag if it degrades quickly, is there? So it's, it's, it will have some life in it when you can use, you know, and then be much more biodegradable. So in essence, what they've done is they've made a new type of plastic that's much more biodegradable, but they just need to work on it a bit to make it more stable, is the idea. Now, when we look at the, the, the nature of the world of plastic now, it is very worrying. So there's a pressing need for new types of plastic. So they reckon there is 6.3 billion tonnes of plastic trash every year. Huge amount is thrown out, you know. 
and can't degrade properly. And even though some degrades, it may be slightly inefficient. And we all know this, don't we? And we're trying to recycle our plastics to decrease this, which, is, as I say, is keep doing it. It's a great thing to get to decrease this trash aspect. Uh, the second thing that worries people are microplastics, which you may have heard of. So the plastic will begin to degrade. It begins to form these microparticles. And, and we don't know the impact they have on the environment. We know we can detect them say, in, 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 um, in fish and so on, and they're probably very toxic in various ways. They could be toxic to us, who knows? And the incidence of certain diseases may be because of these microparticles that are coming off these plastics. So again, that's another important consideration here as to why, as to why plastics might be dangerous. I mean, just keep an eye on them very, very, uh, very carefully. They're in the food chain, very importantly, so that's the issue. And actually, um, the other thing to mention, and, I've, uh, and I may have mentioned this before, fungi can actually degrade these things. And there's a big effort, I'll come back to that at, at the end, actually, how, how, um, how we're devising ways to better break down the plastic that's there. If we could just digest the plastic that's out there, that's our second option. So one is to make plastic that's more degradable anyway. And that's what this has happened with the DNA vegetable oil mix. A second is to, to break down the plastics using bacteria or various things. And I'll come back to that in a second. But I want to talk about one other thing before I do that. And that is another breakthrough, another finding, which really got my imagination. Now, as you may know, there are these great big islands of plastic in the oceans. They're called gyres, G-Y-R-E, because they keep spinning around in the ocean currents. And there's vast you can call them huge islands of these things. Uh, there's the North Pacific Subtropical Gyre. Now, guess how big that is? It's 610,000 square miles. I'll use miles because it was the Americans were the ones who discovered it. This is several times the size of Ireland, right? And it's a big island of plastic out there in the oceans, turning and turning away. There's also the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is the other name for that, actually. There's five of them, by the way, they reckon. And, 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 I mean, I'd love to go and visit them just to see how horrible they are. Can you imagine all this plastic in the oceans? And it's got to be damaging the species there. But the new breakthrough on, on this area is, and it, again, it's worrying them, they've found lots of species living on these plastic islands. Now, can you believe it? So it's as if they are like an island, and certain species can grow on them. And these species are normally found on the land. So there's all these species ending up in the middle of the ocean on these massive gyres. And who knows what damage they might do. They may begin to take over that environment. They'll threaten the actual natural um, flora and fauna that's in those regions. If these um, plastic island dwelling normally land species are there, they could use up nutrients, all kinds of things. So if you like, these plastic islands are invading territories and they're causing, potentially causing all kinds of problems. So again, very important and there's great great science to analyze these plastic gyres especially the north pacific subtropical gyre where they found them on uh, and that's really important to keep measuring those and seeing what's going on with them and yet another reason to replace this plastic because if it's more degradable you won't be getting this kind of thing going on you know and that will really help the environment as well they're called neopelagic communities there's another can't be science for inventing horrible words. Neopelagic. Pelagic means of the sea. It's a new community. And who knows, you may get different types of bacteria evolving there. All kinds of things might happen on these plastic islands. So that's another reason to, to study them and try to figure out what's going on with them and hopefully try and get rid of them is the idea. Now, this getting rid of the thing, and this is, um, I'll, I'll leave you with this one because there is still lots of effort going on, by the way, to come up with better ways to break down plastic and get pardon me, get rid of these plastic islands, you know, whatever. And, it, and obviously it'll take a while for us to replace the polyethylene and other material-based plastics with things like DNA and vegetable oil. If this works out, it'll be brilliant. But it will take time and it needs to be optimised in various ways. 
So we still need ways to break down plastic. Now, certain bacteria can do it, and they've discovered bacteria very good at breaking down plastics. They're engineering bacteria to do it. Now, of course, that could have knock-on effects, but still, uh, you could get bacteria to digest them. But fungi are very good at eating stuff. They're very good at decomposing things. And certain fungi are very good at breaking down plastics. And again, they're studying those and trying to optimise the ability of fungi to break down plastics. So there'll be some kind of combination of better uh, biodegradable plastics, um, or sorry, plastics that can be degraded better than, than at the moment, or secondly, replacing plastics, these, oh, these ones that are difficult altogether, with the newer plastics. And who knows? Strangely, DNA, yet again, has a primacy. We know how important DNA is for life on Earth. But who would have thought you could possibly start with DNA as a chemical, mix it up with certain vegetable oils, and that's more complex than this, obviously, and end up with a material, a hydrogel, that could be the basis for new plastics that would be highly biodegradable. Wouldn't that be brilliant? So maybe, I don't know how long it's going to take, I won't guess, but in a few years' time, maybe your plastic bag when you go shopping, or the plastic in my headphones as I speak to you now, or whatever it might be, will be replaced, or there'll be another type of plastic used to make those things that's much more biodegradable, much more sustainable for the Earth. And it's such an important thing, obviously, given the crisis, as we all know, the big climate change issue is very current. And I love this because it's yet another example of human ingenuity. We're trying all kinds of ways to save the Earth. And we're using our own behaviour, really important, of course, in the ways that we're plastic recycling an example. But equally then, science is working very hard to come up with ways to sort of slow down climate change in all kinds of ways and save the earth. That's how big it is. And let's get rid of these gyres for crying out loud, these islands circulating in the oceans, which are bound to have all kinds of negative knock-on consequences. And maybe the future with these new types of plastics will help with that overall goal that we'd all love that to be the case for our children and our grandchildren. So there you have it, the science of plastics, the latest breakthroughs in the world of plastics. And thanks for listening as ever. And as I say, any comments uh, gratefully received. And don't forget, uh, my Show Me The Science podcast is available for download every Thursday. It's a News Talk production, and I hope you enjoyed this one. And all the very best.